Exodus chapter 24, verses 1 to 18, and it's on page 57 in the Pew Bibles. Exodus 24. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountains and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commands I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aide, and Moses went up on the mountainside of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back for you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days the clouds covered the mountain, and on the seventh day the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Well, let's pray. Father, thanks again for your word. We thank you, Father God, that your word uh, is the unfolding story of how it is that you care for us and have provided for our salvation and our eternal life in Jesus. Father, we pray that you'd uh, help us to focus now on what your word is saying to us, that we would grow in our understanding of your plan and your grace and your mercy and that we would uh, live responsibly, re responsibly to that. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some people say that uh, if, if, if only God appeared in front of me, uh, then I'd believe. Have you heard that? 
in, in one sense, it's understandable, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it's appropriate uh, for people to want to have good reason to believe in God uh, it's, uh, and to respond and to give their lives over to God. Uh, it's, it's appropriate in a sense. But when you think about it, uh, to actually meet God, for God to be standing in front of you, may not be a straightforward matter. Uh, think about it. Think about God's greatness for a start. The, the universe which God has created is, uh, is, is so immense, uh, it, it's inconceivably immense, it, it humbles the greatest of human minds, and we stand in awe of the universe, do we not? And so if the creation is that great, then what would people expect it to be like if the, the one who is behind the creation to stand in front of them? You know, really, what, what would you be expecting? Um, it may not actually be something that uh, is particularly straightforward. Um, King David had it right when he wrote in Psalm 8, when, when he, speaking to God when he said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which, which you've put in place, well, what is man that you should care for him? It's a good point, isn't it? Uh, we are so puny compared to God. Although David's point is actually how marvellous it is that God actually given that, that he does actually care for us. Because God has made us to be special in his creation. Uh, as, as small as we are, as insignificant as we may look in comparison to the rest of the universe, we've been made as the pinnacle of God's creation in order that we will enjoy a relationship with him. That's how we've been made. The, the issue, uh, so what the Bible presents though to us is a different reason as to why meeting God may not be straightforward. Uh, the issue between us and God is not size. The issue between us and God is holiness. God is holy. And guess what, folks? We are not. Uh, sinful human beings... Uh, we cannot simply front up to the, to the holy God of the universe and expect that meeting to necessarily end well. Except, of course, by the sheer grace and mercy of God. The unfolding story, which we see in passages such as our passage today, uh, Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24 is all about meeting God. Can I get you to open that up in your Bibles as we have a look at and unpack that uh, this morning? Exodus chapter 24. The opening verses of the, the chapter provide the context for us. Israel, the, uh, the people of Israel, are gathered at the base of Mount Sinai. And uh, you might remember back in uh, chapter 3, that uh, that's where it all began for Moses in terms of his relationship with God because it was in Exodus chapter 3 at the base of Mount Sinai that God revealed himself to Moses as he spoke to him uh, through the burning bush. And you might also recall that uh, uh, as God commissioned Moses to go into Egypt to bring the people out of Egypt, uh, he said that one day 
that uh, the people, the descendants of Abraham would be worshipping God at the foot of this mountain in this very place. So that's where we start in uh, verses 1 and 2 at the foot of Mount Sinai. And here God says that uh, through Moses that a group of leaders should now come up to the mountain where God uh, is present. Moses is to come, we're told. Um, Moses' brother Aaron is to come and he's to bring along his two oldest sons, uh, Nabab, Nadab and Abihu. Uh, they are to come as well. And, and these three, um, Aaron and his two sons, uh, they would actually become priests. That's uh, part of the Aaronic priesthood of the, 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 of the tribe of Levi. And then 70 elders were also to come. And we don't know for sure, it's just speculative. They, they may be the, the leaders that Moses appointed when Jethro, his father, said, Moses, you're doing too much judging. Appoint some others to do that work and so on. So the people, um, the, the bulk of the people of Israel, they remain at the base of the mountain. There's 73 Aaron and his two sons and the 70 elders, they're allowed to go part way up the mountain. But only one person, only one person, Moses, uh, is to approach the Lord, is to go all the way uh, to the Lord. So the, what we see here is that the closer you get to God, the fewer the people who are allowed to come. And, and that is actually establishing a pattern that we see throughout Scripture uh, later on in Exodus, uh, in the tabernacle, the way that the, the tabernacle is established, that the people stay at the outer section, the priests are allowed to come closer, but there's only one person, the high priest, who's allowed to actually uh, go into the Holy of Holies. And that, of course, is also replicated in the temple uh, when Israel becomes more settled in the land. And so that's what's happening here. The closer you get to God, the fewer the number of people who are allowed to go. But before the leaders ascend the mountain, uh, one thing must happen, and that is that God's covenant must be sealed. And so, in verses 3 through to 8, there are two things that happen. Firstly, in verse 3, uh, Moses... Uh, told the people all of the Lord's, the Lord's words and laws. Now, what do you think those words and those laws might be? Well, here's a clue. Um, flip a page back to chapter 20, verse 1. Now, chapter 20, as you remember, that's all about the Ten Commandments, right? Chapter 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these, what does it say? Words. Right. Uh, have a look at chapter 21, verse 1. Uh, and this is where, in, in the context of giving the book of the covenant, where he says, these are the laws you are to set before them. It's the words and the laws. The words, the Ten Commandments, the laws, the book of the covenant. And so this is what Moses, at this point, has told the people. He's told the people the words and the laws 
that the Lord had given him. Now, how did the people respond? Well, in verse 3, they all they agreed. They said, no worries. Uh, not a problem. Everything that the Lord will do, the, everything the Lord has said, we will do. They've said that before, haven't they? Early on in Exodus. So that's the first thing that happens. It's the reciting of the, of the words and the laws which the Lord has given and the affirmation, the confirmation, yep, we agree, we'll sign up to this. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Now, the second thing which happens is sacrifice. And I'm going to read this for you. It's in verse 4, the second part of verse 4, down through to verse 8. So, uh, starting where it says, He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men. They offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So, an altar and pillars. Uh, uh, Moses got up the next day and these are the things that he built. He built an altar to the Lord and he built pillars. The altar representing God and the 12 pillars representing the, the 12 tribes or the, or the people, the, the whole nation of Israel. The altar and the pillars. Then there are the offerings. Now, young men were chosen to do the offerings. Any thoughts as to why they might choose young men? Well, it's got to do with sacrificing bulls, hasn't it? <laughs> And uh, sacrificing bulls is not a job for the weak or the faint-hearted. You want strong, uh, energetic people to be involved in, in that job. And notice that there were two types of offerings made. There are burnt offerings and there are fellowship offerings. Now, what's the difference between the two? Well, burnt offerings are made so as to atone for sin. Um, they, they're just burnt up on the altar, completely burnt up, as if, as if God was consuming them. Fellowship offerings, on the other hand, they celebrate fellowship with God and they are consumed not by God, they're not burnt up, they're consumed by the people. And so sacrifice for sin and fellowship with God are represented in this act. What about the blood? Well, in verse 6, half, the, half of the blood is, um, <clears throat> is put in containers and the other half of the blood is sprinkled on, on the altar. And then the, after the blood is sprinkled on the altar, the people again agree to obey the book of the covenant. And then the blood which had been poured out, the blood which had been poured into bowls, that was then sprinkled on the people. And with these words it was sprinkled in verse 8, 
This is the blood of the covenant. Those words sound familiar? Yeah, they do, don't they? I mean, they should seem familiar to us because at the Last Supper in Mark chapter 14, um, Jesus took the cup and uh, after giving thanks, he said, uh, this is not the blood of the covenant, but he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Um, in Hebrews chapter 9, we're told that without the shedding of blood, that there can be no forgiveness of sin, and there can therefore be no fellowship with God. There can be no atonement and no fellowship without the shedding of the blood. Um, and so what we see here is that the, the sacrifice which is offered up at the foot of Mount Sinai begins a pattern which ultimately leads to a better sacrifice, a, a much later sacrifice, a sacrifice that took place uh, on a hill just outside of Jerusalem. The sacrifice of a new covenant between God on the one hand and his people, us on the other, through the shed blood of Jesus, the sprinkled blood of Jesus. Uh, so that in fact in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, if we are people who have trusted in Christ, then we are said to be people who have been sprinkled with his blood. Um, in fact, in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, where just as the leaders of Israel were invited to, uh, to, to draw near to God, in Hebrews chapter nine, 10, in Hebrews 10, we are invited to draw near to God because we've been sprinkled, because our hearts have been sprinkled, because we have been cleansed with the blood of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. And so that's how that kind of uh, uh, is, is woven through Scripture and points to Jesus. But we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves a bit here, so let's go back to Exodus chapter 24, to, the, to Mount Sinai. Because uh, just to recap, obedience has been pledged, sacrifices have been made, blood has been sprinkled. And so now in verses 9 through to 11, the representatives of the people ascend the mountain to draw near to God. And what happens next, friends, is, is extraordinary. Let me read it for you in verse 9. Verse 9 it says, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against the leaders of the Israelites. They saw God. And they ate and drank. Now, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It's extraordinary for two reasons. One, number one, they saw God. That's extraordinary. And, and, that, and that throws up a few questions for us, doesn't it? That they, I mean, the question of, well, how far up the mountain did they actually get? You know, all 74 of them. Um, what is it that they actually saw? And here's a question. Um, 
why didn't they die? Uh, because a few chapters later on in Exodus chapter 33, Moses has gone up the mountain again, and this time he's gone up in order to receive the, um, the tablets, you know, with the, uh, with the law written into the tablets, and he's up there for 40 days and for 40 nights, and, <clears throat> and God promises to pass by him so that he would uh, experience some of God's goodness. But he said that uh, God said to him that you cannot see my face because no one may see me and live. Although God uh, does allow, he does pass by Moses and as he does allow Moses to see his back. But no one sees God's face and lives. Now, what therefore is happening in verses 9 through to 11? Well, the, the passage itself points out that, that it really is unusual. It's extraordinary that they had this, this vision of God and they lived to tell the story because in verse 11 it notes, makes specific mention of the fact that although this has happened that God did not lift up his hand against them there's an act of mercy there on the part of God and we're not actually told that they saw God's face we don't really know what it is of God that they did see except that they at the very least they saw they saw his feet and they saw what was underneath his feet and what was underneath his feet was something like something like a sapphire pavement, which was clear as the sky. <clears throat> the, the, the text tells us more about what was underneath God's feet than what they actually saw of God. A sapphire pavement, which was clear as the sky. Actually, uh, it's not certain whether the Hebrew word here for this, this gem means sapphire, or whether it means the, uh, the more precious uh, stone with the, the rather exotic name of lapis lazuli. Has anyone ever heard of the lapis lazuli? Uh, it's a, it sounds very exotic, doesn't it? It's a, different kind, it's a different gemstone, but it looks very much like sapphire. What does a sapphire look like? Well... Uh, I can claim some expertise here along with anyone else who uh, lived in Inverell because Inverell, where we lived before, was the, uh, at one stage was producing 80% of Australia's uh, sapphires and uh, it's known as the Sapphire City. And uh, I can tell you that sapphires are beautiful. They, they, uh, they come in a variety of different colours, but the most well-known sapphire is a very exquisite blue. And um, just like the lapis lazuli is blue, and just like the sky uh, is blue as well. I think that's the point here, that uh, it's, a, it's the issue of the sky. It's the issue of the, the, the blueness of the sky, but yet the, the clearness of the sky. And so here on Mount Sinai, by the grace of God, Israel's leaders have experienced this kind of partial sort of vision of God, at least seeing his feet on something which resembles sky, which uh, perhaps uh, is an uh, indication to us 
of his identity as the, as the one who is actually over the whole of the creation. That's interesting also in Ezekiel's vision of heaven that Ezekiel describes the throne of God as being sapphire as well. So it's this kind of picture image that we get here. And again, in this, in this vision of God, we have a, a hint of a future reality. I mean, people say, if, if God appeared before me, then I would believe. And in one sense, it does make sense because uh, people ought to be able to have a revelation of God for us to have a reason to believe. But if you, are, if you were the mighty ruler of the universe and you wanted to appear to, to men, how might you do that? How would you do it? Well, here they're given a vision of his feet, what was below the feet. Uh, later on in this chapter, in verses 12 through to 18, uh, as I said, Moses goes up to the mountain for 40 days to receive the, the tablets of stone. And there the glory of the Lord appears uh, in cloud and in fire. Let's have a look at that. It's in verse 15, where it says, When Moses went up to the mountain, up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. Uh, for six days, the, the, the cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And then Moses entered the cloud as he went up the mountain and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The glory of the Lord in the cloud and in the fire on top of the mountain. And what you see there uh, in verse 16 is we're told that the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. You see that? Settled on Mount Sinai. Now, that word uh, settled uh, is the same word that's later used to refer to the tabernacle, which is the tent where uh, Israel would go to worship the Lord. And uh, it, it simply it, it means made his dwelling. It's the, the dwelling of God. That God dwelt on the mountain, that God dwelt in the tabernacle, that God dwelt in the temple. Now, uh, on your sheets there, I've printed something from John's Gospel, chapter 1. Because in, in John chapter 1, verse 14, have a look at what John tells us about the one who is earlier described as being God, the, the Word, where he says the Word, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Remember that from John chapter 1, verse 1? In verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, settled among us, tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And down to verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through, and here he identifies the Word 
Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The glory of God, the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the grace and the truth of God can be seen because God became a man. And like the cloud and the fire on the mountain and the cloud in the tabernacle and the cloud in the temple, he has settled among us. Uh, he has dwelt amongst us. The, um, the disciple Philip uh, once said to Jesus, uh, he said to him one day, he said, Lord, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. You know, just show us the Father and we'll believe. Everything will be okay. And, uh, and Jesus replied and said to him, Philip, 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 how long have I been living amongst you and yet you don't get it? Uh, how long have you, have you known me? He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. You see, to the person who says, if God appeared to me, then I would believe, how do we help that person? Well, I'd want to say, well, actually, God has appeared. Uh, he, he became a man. Uh, his name is Jesus. And you can actually read about his interactions with human beings uh, through... Um, uh, in, in, the, in the Gospels. Uh, read about Jesus. Read about the one who was at the... Uh, God who was at the Father's side who has now made him known. We can know the glory of God because he has settled amongst us. But again, we're getting ahead of things. So let's, let's go back to, to Sinai and the experience of Israel and the 74 leaders... Again, to recap, the law has been agreed to. Sacrifices for sin and for fellowship have been made. The elders have gone up the mountain. They caught a glimpse of him. That They saw God. And now what else do they do in verse 11? After they saw God, they, they ate and drank. They enjoyed a meal. Uh, recently, we celebrated Bassam and Katie's wedding uh, here in this building. It was, for those of us who are here, it was a great event. It was a great celebration as they covenanted to, uh, with one another. What did we do afterwards in the hall? We ate and we drank. And some of us got to go to a, bo to a golf club later and do it all night. <laughs> well into the night. It was a wedding feast. And again, here on the mountain we see a hint of a future reality, a reality which is woven through the rest of Scripture. Can I get you to do some work for a moment and, and flip open your Bibles to Isaiah, uh, to Isaiah uh, chapter 25? Um, because here Isaiah has a, a vision of, uh, of a mountain and a, and a, and a meal and a, and a future You'll find that on page 500. And uh, picking it up at verse 6, where Isaiah says, 
On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. For which people? All peoples, not just Israel, but all, that's you and me, folks, all peoples. Um, he will prepare a feast for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. How about that? The finest of wines. This is not a $4 bottle of wine from Aldi. This is, you know, Penfold's Grange Hermitage kind of stuff. It's the best that money can buy. A banquet of the best meats and the finest of wines. And on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. The sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. It's a great picture, isn't it? Death swallowed up. Tears wiped away. Salvation has come. At the Last Supper, our Lord Jesus, when he took the cup, he did say, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. And then as the disciples, in the presence of God, in the presence of God the Son, as they ate and they drank with him that night. Jesus said, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. But before that, he would become the burnt offering. His blood would be shed and sprinkled for our cleansing and forgiveness so that on the day of judgment, we can approach God the Father with no fear that his hand would be raised against us. For we can look our, our judge in the eye and see a, a saviour looking back at us. Moses and the elders of Israel, theirs was a remarkable experience. They saw God at least his feet. They saw the, the sapphire pavement under his feet. They saw the cloud. They saw the smoke. They saw the... But friends, this was just a glimpse. This was just a glimpse of that great day that Jesus spoke of, uh, where in, in Revelation chapter 19, it is described as being the wedding feast of the Lamb. That day when all those sprinkled with the blood of Jesus are invited to sup with him, to celebrate the covenant forever, eating and drinking in the presence of God because, because the, uh, the sin offering has been made and the fellowship offering is ours to enjoy forever that day 
when as Isaiah says, death has been swallowed up, tears have been wiped clean, and salvation has come. You know, people say, if only God would appear to me. Well, the great news is that if you look to Jesus, then you'll see God. The great news is that if you look to Jesus, that this future of the wedding banquet of the Lamb forever will be your future if you put your trust in him. The experience of Israel's elders on Mount Sinai was, it was indeed remarkable, was it not? An extraordinary experience to head up the mountain and to, to see God and to, and to eat and to drink, to celebrate. It's an experience that you'd expect would make an impact on them, don't you think? An experience that you'd, you'd never forget it. An experience which would, would shape the rest of your life. And so therefore it's a sobering reminder to us that a few days later, Aaron and the others, they're back down at the foot of the mountain while Moses is up the top. And the people say, we don't know what's happened to Moses. And having seen the image of God, having experienced that, what do they do? Under the leadership of Aaron, they reduce God to an idol. <laughs> Earlier on, they'd sacrificed some young bulls. Now they create a calf made of idol, uh, made of gold. And they say, well, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt. It's a sobering reminder that the experience on the mountain did not shape their lives as it ought to have. We experience God, don't we? We experience God, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, in the face of Jesus. Uh, let us allow Jesus' sacrifice and the future that he has promised us to shape our lives, to shape every aspect of our lives, all our days, as we too look forward to the wedding banquet of the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great uh, atoning sacrifice of Jesus. Father, we thank you that uh, you have revealed yourself to us through him, that he is the, the revelation of all of your glory and that by his death he has created fellowship between us and you. And we thank you for the great hope that we have of the eternal life, of that uh, joyous feasting uh, around your throne. We thank you for the, the rich tapestry of scripture and, and the, how these motifs uh, flow through the unfolding story of your salvation. Help us to be people who anchor our lives in the experience of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. May that uh, be the very thing which shapes all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.